0: Alright, this morning we're going to be in 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And so, when Ben had asked, and it was going to be two weeks in a row, we're going to be picking up where Matt left off. Matt did the end of chapter 3, we're going to be at the beginning of chapter 4 this morning. So, our text is going to be verses 1 and 2, but we're going to go ahead and start reading in chapter 3, 16, and then we'll read through 4, 5 to get us started this morning. So, Paul writes, through the inspiration of the Spirit, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, as profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So Matt's message last week was pretty timely, as much as it was when it was written. We need to know and we need to understand that Scripture is God's word and it's His revelation to us. And that's our foundation for everything else that we believe. We are at a time when there are some Christian influencers and different leaders of churches that are starting to get away from that a little bit. They're undermining some of it. They are trying to separate from the Old Testament or pick passages they think are inspired and maybe not others. And so it is important for us to to understand this as our foundation for our faith. The Baptist faith and message on the Scriptures says, The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It's a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. And therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore it will remain to the end of the world. The true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So all scripture is God breathed. And we believe that in doing so, he used human writers and he used their personalities, writing styles and their situations they were in to share his word. So it's important as we study sometimes to know the context of what was going on and when the word was written. I think of how easily messages between two people can be misread if someone was to see a message maybe that I'd sent to Matt and not understand the context or maybe the way we joke with each other or whatever, and how easily that can be twisted. So it's important to know context whenever we're looking into something. So we're going to start with just a little bit. We won't spend a whole lot of time there, but Paul's second letter to Timothy, it was written in much different circumstances than his first. So first Timothy, it's believed it was written between his Roman imprisonments. While this letter was written from a cell in his second and his final imprisonment in Rome, it's believed the letters to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were written during his first imprisonment in Rome. And in that, he was in a sort of house arrest. Now, he wasn't free, and I don't want to downplay what was going on because he was beaten, he was mobbed, people were seeking to kill him. This was not a vacation. But the circumstances were much different in his first imprisonment than they were in the second. So I just want us to see those differences. During the first, he had visitors, he had opportunities to witness, and he was optimistic about his release. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, 20-24. He says, But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So we can see that even in this first imprisonment, Paul was pretty confident that he was going to be released to be able to come to them shortly. Now Second Timothy, it's believed, was written... During a second imprisonment. And circumstances there had changed. He was not under a house arrest. He was in a cell. He was in chains. And he even alludes to the fact that he knows that his life is coming to an end soon. So in 2 Timothy 2 verse 9. He says for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. In chapter 4 verse 6. He says I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. So his second imprisonment took place under Nero's persecution of the Christians in the late 60s A.D. And Christians lived in literal fear of their lives at this time. It was not a good time to be a Christian. Nero's attack was brutal. It was public. Christians were martyred for their faith. So the situation that they're in is not great, right? It's pretty bad. And Paul even says in this letter in different places that he'd been abandoned by everyone who was with him. A few had left the faith, and then others had just left Rome where he was and had went to other places because of the fear of persecution. It says Luke was the only one with him. And as we read, Paul alludes to the fact when he says he's being poured out as a drink offering that he's not going to be around much longer. And he was martyred, it's believed, shortly after this letter was written. So now... That's kind of the context of what's going on here. And despite everything that Paul was witnessing and what was going on around him and everything that he himself was dealing with, his message did not change to Timothy, okay? Preach the word, preach the gospel, no matter what else you do, no matter what consequences you're going to face, preach the word. Paul's devotion to this fueled his ministry. It was throughout his ministry, we could see different trials and different things that Paul himself went through to share the gospel. So as we study, kind of keep that in mind that that's what's going on as Paul writes this to Timothy. Now, this epistle, though it's a pastoral epistle, it is something that we all must consider because as we seek to lead, whether it's in our homes, our communities, our careers, or here at church in different ministries, a few of the things he's highlighted so far through this letter as he's trying to encourage Timothy and instruct him. In chapter 1, 6 through 8, he urges him to hold fast. In chapter 2, verse 1, he tells him to be strong. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says to endure hardship. And in our text today, he says to preach the word. So no matter what the circumstances, the truth and the power of the gospel must be preached. All right, so our two points this morning. In verse 1 and verse 2, Paul is giving Timothy the charge of what he is to do, and then he's also telling him to be ready to do that. So, we'll read those two verses to start with. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So, he starts out with a charge. And that word for charge would be better translated to command. So, Paul, throughout his letter, he's giving this instruction and encouragement to Timothy. Because, as we discussed, Paul will not be around to continue his ministry. And so he's urging Timothy to stay true to the faith, the faith that Timothy grew up in. right? He talks about that in other passages and other verses. And the faith that Paul had given to Timothy whenever Timothy was with him, whenever he was being discipled. So, as the letter comes to an end, Paul gives him a call to action. right? And not just any call, because this call comes with the authority and with the scrutiny of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry's commentary on this, he said how awfully this charge is introduced. The best of men have a need to be awed into the discharge of their duty, to be awed. This comes with weight, right? Not just the weight of the apostle who's commanding it, although if an apostle inspired by the Spirit of God tells us to do something, probably should do it. But that's not the weight that this carries. Paul isn't commanding Timothy just because he wants to. He's informing him that when he preaches, he's preaching before God and before Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. He's not telling him to preach for for Paul's approval or the approval of others around him or even of the congregation and especially not for the world. But he's telling him to preach in front of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is our judge. That's who will determine how we've done handling his word. In fact, in James, James warns about anyone who would become a teacher. In James 3, one, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that they shall receive a stricter judgment. And in Hebrews 13.17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So that is the charge. That's the weight of what he's telling him to do. Okay. So we should, and most of us probably are, but we should be in prayer for our pastor, right? This is a big responsibility and burden. And this task matters for the health and the growth of us, of the congregation, of believers. So we need to be in prayer for our leaders. John MacArthur states, Paul is emphasizing the unique accountability that all believers, and especially ministers of the Word of God, have to Christ as judge. Service to Christ is rendered both under his watchful eye, And with the knowledge that he is judge, he will one day appraise the works of every believer, not a judgment of condemnation, but of evaluation. So, verse 1, we get the severity, right? The seriousness of the charge of what Paul is telling Timothy to do here. And then in verse 2, he lays out the charge. Again, building off of verses 16 and 17 in chapter 3. He's just continuing on here. So, verse 2a, we're only going to do the first part, Preach the word. Preach the word. That's my favorite part of this. There you go. Preach the word. That's the command. That is the call. Preach the complete word. Preach the word in context. Preach all of the word. That's the task, right? Too many times preachers will get up in front of their congregation and they'll give what amount to motivational speeches and those kind of speeches might fill seats. They might get people to come in. They might get people feeling good. But A.W. Tozer says, Modern religion has accepted a monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster make a church pleasing to God. Okay, that is a pretty strong quote. But preaching should be God-honoring. Preaching should be true to His nature and to His character. It should be God-focused. It should be God-glorifying. Okay, it should be about God. God's Word is vital to the life of believers. We don't need pep talks, we don't need emotionally charged lectures, we need the Word of God, and it's vital for us in our growth. In Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus, as he's rebuking Satan, he quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, so he's quoting from God's Word, and he says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how important that is, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, when I was listening, I was listening to Alistair Begg about this scripture, And he said in his sermon on this that we preach the word because the word of God is culturally neutral. And I had to think about that for a minute. This does not mean that the word of God doesn't say anything about culture or that we can't apply it to culture. What what he's saying here is scripture is universal in its importance. The need for God's word doesn't change depending on our circumstances. It doesn't change depending on our political system that we live in. It doesn't change with our economic status doesn't change in the society that we have. It's always God's word and it's always needed by the hearers. Just a couple weeks ago we had the Beast family here from Kenya. And it was nice to get to hear the presentation and, and some of what they do there. And some of the things that he talked about is they they help to feed people, they take in children, they help address medical needs, they help provide education, housing, and those are very important, very important services in that area. And They're tremendously helpful to those people. But I remember one thing that he said about the need there whenever they first visited. He said that when they first went, they found other churches in the area, but none of them were preaching the true gospel. These people had probably heard the name of Jesus, but there are a lot of false ideas of Jesus being preached. They were going to these places, but they weren't getting fed. He even mentioned a preacher that came to his studies who had never heard the gospel explained. This is someone who was leading Now, the people in that country are impoverished, and honestly, beyond what most of us could probably imagine from where we live, and their physical needs are very real, and they matter. They matter tremendously, but if we were to feed, clothe, and educate people, and never introduce them to Jesus, the true Jesus, as He's revealed in God's Word, then we haven't saved anyone. If our earthly needs get met, but spiritually people remain dead, then they've just been made more comfortable for a time. So we preach the Word. Because the truth is, people in Kenya, just like people around the world, need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ above all other needs. That is what we need. We need to know that we are sinners who will stand before God one day, and that God will judge justly and righteously, right? We're either going to stand there and receive the punishment that sin has earned, or we're going to stand there in the righteousness of Jesus and receive mercy. Justice or grace, right? Justice being the punishment For the transgressions or grace freely given by Jesus who gave himself as a sacrifice so that he could take our sins upon himself and his righteousness could be placed on us. Because without Jesus, there is no salvation. There's no forgiveness. There's no hope. And that message doesn't change depending on our zip code, our social status, our wealth. That is why we preach the word. Because there is nothing else that we need beyond that which is provided to us through Jesus. So the message is the same. Salvation is found in Christ alone, and that message is needed universally. OK? So that is why we preach the Word. In Romans, chapter 16, Paul writes, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, is the power of God to salvation." So if we are going to preach the Word, then we have to be ready to preach the word. And that's where we're going to go now is to the rest of verse 2 here. So verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So be ready in season and out of season. Be ready when times are easy and when times are not. Right? When it's timely and untimely. When it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Going back to Matthew Henry, I'm going to quote him one more time out of his commentary because I like how he wrote this. He says, do this work with all fervency of spirit. Call upon those under thy charge to take heed of sin, to do their duty. Call upon them to repent and believe and live a holy life. And this both in season and out of season. Call upon those under thy charge. When it says in season and out of season, we've got a couple of sides to this for the preacher. For one, our pastors are human. They have lives. They struggle. They have difficult things that happen in their life. They have difficult things that happen in our lives that they are very involved in. But they have the task, whether times are good or hard, they stand before God's people and they preach the word. It's not always easy, but that is the command. That's what they're charged with doing. Second, there are passages and commands that sometimes are uncomfortable to discuss. Things that go against cultural ideas. It's not always received well, but no matter how people are going to receive it, we can't preach to be man-pleasers, Okay, because the charge is to preach the word. That's, that's the command, preach the word. The world may fight and yell and call names and all of that at the word of God, but because the truth of God's word exposes sin, right? It brings our sins to light, and we don't like that sometimes, but it doesn't change the charge to preach the word. That's why here we go through verse by verse the way that Ben teaches, and I'm thankful that he faithfully does that, because it is important that we faithfully proclaim the word even when it's hard. We can't avoid truths just because they might upset people, right? When we talk about the sanctity of life, that's one that upsets people, but we can't avoid it. It has to be talked about. When we discuss biblical justice and equal protection for unborn people, people get upset by that, but we have to talk about it. It's there. When we talk about the exclusivity of the cross, right, that Jesus is the only way, that truth upsets people, but we can't avoid that. When we talk about things like marriage, sexuality, gender, those truths upset people, but we can't avoid it okay? We cannot be ashamed of the Word of God. Now, for us, who are under the teaching of a pastor, we have the responsibility to read and to study and to know God's Word, to guard ourselves against those who would distort God's Word, because they're out there, and they're easy to find. We have the charge to raise and protect our families from worldly false doctrines that are out there, right? We have to hold those that we listen to, to this charge. So, whether that be a preacher we enjoy listening to, a podcast. I know I enjoy podcasts, lots of different ones. Whether it's music, all of those things, we should be holding them to the Scripture and weighing them by the Word of God. Because if they're not holding to what God's Word teaches, then we need to get rid of that. We need to get out of that. Okay, We are true to the Word of God because that is our authority. So we need to be ready to teach the truth. And at the end of this verse... He says to convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. So we're going to look at the end of this charge here: convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering. We're going to talk about each of those, what each of those means. But we preach the word of God to convince. So the idea here that's being used is to to give a reason, to give a defense, to help understand, to correct behavior or doctrine. First Peter three fifteen. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, that verse from 1 Peter includes the Greek word apologia, where apologetics comes from, right? So that's just to give a reason, defense, to, to be able to explain our beliefs, okay? And there are many forms that apologetics can take. Most of them are helpful in some way, but foundational to however we're giving a defense We have to have the Word of God, okay? We have to be going back to Scripture. We cannot fight spiritual battles in worldly ways. There are many who want to separate Scriptures from arguments. I've heard people say no one wants to hear Scripture. People don't listen if we say the Bible says. But we're to preach the Word whether we think people are going to listen or not. We need to teach and discuss biblical truths with the Bible, okay? Because as we read, it is the power of God. We do not know when the Holy Spirit... We'll use the word to convict somebody. We should be true to that. We cannot separate the things that we're going to discuss, biblical matters from the Bible, from Scripture. So, as our ultimate authority, we should be ready to use it as our ultimate authority. Next, we preach the word of God to rebuke. This one gets a little squeamish, However, because rebuking involves confronting sin, it's it's calling out sin in hopes of bringing about repentance. Okay, That is why... It's there. That is why we do that, right? And this is, about, this is just about being honest with the Word of God and not compromising, okay? Where the Bible is clear that things are sinful or things are abhorrent to God, we need to be clear. We need to stick to Scripture and teach what Scripture teaches, okay? Because conviction is the idea here. Conviction is something the Holy Spirit uses in our lives to point out areas that we need correction. And it's not always easy, It doesn't always feel good. No one likes being corrected. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, man, I sure hope somebody tells me where I'm just failing today. No, right? We we don't like that. But we have to be faithful to God and his word when preaching. We have to proclaim the truth, even when and maybe especially when those truths go against what culture is saying. Next, we preach the word to exhort or to call for, to beseech, to encourage, to uplift. The Word of God offers hope and joy and peace and love that the world desperately needs and does not know. We preach the Word completely because the justice of God and the mercy of God are both real and they're both true. The righteousness and the wrath, the love, the judgment. We preach all of these things because that is what the Word of God teaches us. That God is just. God is wrath. God is holy. God is merciful. God is patient, He is love, He's all of those things and more, and none of them contradict. Okay, so we preach the entire Word, because the entire Word is God's revelation of Himself to us. We find hope in that, we find joy, and we find peace in that. And then finally, we preach the Word with all long-suffering and teaching. Now, we don't preach the Word of God out of arrogance. No self-righteous judgment, nothing like that. Like, we're somehow better than the people that we're, that we're talking to. We preach the word with patience and love, with a desire to teach others about God's patience and God's love. When we preach on sin, this goes back to preaching the whole word. When we preach on sin, we preach on grace, right? We talk about wrath. We talk about mercy. We preach with the understanding that none of us have salvation because we've earned it. I like what Matt said last week. He said we are like beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. I thought that was good. So this isn't about my righteousness, right? Because in myself, I don't have any. We preach the word of God because it testifies to Jesus. It testifies to his righteousness. And there's not a believer that's ever been saved by anything other than grace alone, by faith in Christ, through the scripture, to the glory of God. We are dependent on him. And that is why we are dependent on his word. In Romans 10, 14 to 17, Paul writes, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him? Of whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17 So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. So preach the word. Stay true to the Word of God. Don't compromise when the Word of God may make us feel uncomfortable about things. 2 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. It says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. So, as we finish, as we close this morning, are we doing our part? Are we in the Word enough to know it? To know how to use it for defense? To be able to give that defense for the hope that's in us with God's Word. Are we able to use it to rebuke things that are happening in the world? Are we able to counteract false doctrines and recognize them when they come up? All of those things matter. So that's, that's a charge for us believers is are we doing our part to know the Word? And if anyone doesn't have the saving relationship with Jesus, God's Word is clear, right? We talked about it. We have, we have the two options. We're going to either receive justice or grace. So will you come to know the hope and the love and the forgiveness and the joy that is found in him and found in his word?